Well, good morning, church. It's uh, good to tune in together and to worship and to sing and to, to hear God's word. We're back in the letter of 1 John towards the back of your New Testament. Last week, we did a kind of intro and overview of the letter and did a little bit of a biography of the Apostle John. Uh, who is he? How did he come to be a follower of Christ? Why did he write this book? And, and if you missed that, you can go find that on our website makingmuchofjesus.org, or you can find that in, in our podcast. You just go to your podcast app and just search Redeemer Church Tomball, and you'll find that in there, and you'll be able to, to catch up in, in our series. Well, now we're gonna begin in verse five of, of chapter one, and, and now the letter is gonna open up. We kind of saw the intro last week, but now the letter's gonna open up, and, and John wants these Christians that he's writing to who are in churches probably all throughout Ephesus, which is modern day, in modern day Turkey, he wants them to get grounded in a few things about God, about themselves, and about God the Son, their, their Savior, and that's what God wants for us today too. Uh, I'm gonna be reading from the CSB, which is the Christian Standard Bible. So let's read what the Apostle John gave to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He writes, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is God's word. So as John launches into this letter for these churches throughout Ephesus who are experiencing um, pressure from false teachers who used to be in their church. Now they've broken off and they're teaching other things. Where does John begin with them? We see this back in verse five, right at the beginning. Let's see, how does John begin with them? He says, this is the message we have heard from him. And I think he's talking about him and the rest of the apostles, the rest of the original disciples, what they heard from Jesus. And he says, and now I'm going to teach it to you. What I heard from King Jesus, I'm gonna teach it to you again. And, and this is that message. What is it? God is light. God is light. This is where John begins with knowing who God is, 
knowing what God is like, knowing his attributes and, and knowing what God does. And this is what John wants us to know. He wants us to know our God, to know our God, that God is light. This sets the foundation for really the first part of this book. And then John's gonna say in a few chapters later, maybe you've heard another God is phrase, God is light here. And then later it's gonna be God is love. And that's gonna set up the rest of the book because John wants us to start with knowing these two truths about God that will now get into our core, get into our hearts and shape the way that we live in this world. And he starts with God is light. So what does it mean? What does it mean that God is light? Well, John isn't saying, to be clear, John isn't saying God is light particles and beams and rays. That's not what John is saying. God is, God is the creator. He is not a part of his creation. He is not a creation. He is the creator eternally, God. God is separate. So what's John doing? He's using metaphor, poetic language, so think about light. What are some ways that light is used in our lives? What light does for us? How light makes you feel? Well, first thing I, I think of, light gives you clarity. It gives you clarity. If you were to go look for something in your attic uh, after, after the service, or you were to go look for something in your garage at night or in your closet, do you go rummaging around in the dark? Oh, I'm sure I'll find it. Leave the lights off. I'll definitely find it in my attic in the dark at night. No, you flip the lights on. You want to see where things are. You want to see what you're looking for. You, you want to be able to read the room and see what you, where you're going to go, what you're going to do, and where you're going to look. God is the clarifying light, the clarifying agent in our lives. And John knows this firsthand. When he met Jesus there on the shores of Galilee, and as he heard Jesus teach, as he saw Jesus heal, as he saw Jesus die and saw Jesus rise, everything began to become clear to him that God is light. We see the point of the world with the light of God. We see the point of our lives with the light of God, with God that our purpose now is to glorify him, to enjoy him forever. Light is clarifying and light reveals what's there, providing comfort and, and safety. That's why kids want nightlights. That's why our homes have nightlights, lights shining on them and motion lights. That's why none of us for a hobby walk in dark alleyways of downtown Houston at two o'clock in the morning because that's not safe. It's scary. Light brings comfort and security and nothing is hidden in the light. Light, light is clean. Light is powerful. And John says, God is light. God is clarifying. God is comforting. He is pure. He is powerful. And there is no, no darkness in him. See that? No darkness, absolutely no darkness in him. There's no reason for you to distrust him. No hidden agenda in God. No, no different person behind closed doors. God isn't one way in his word, good and holy, and then something different in your life. No, God is pure. And 
There's no phoniness about him. And so we, we must know this next thing about God is that you can have fellowship with him. You can have fellowship. That's where he says, we, if we have fellowship with him. So fellowship is possible with God. And this is the next thing that John really wants us to see about God and about Christianity, I think. And we need this. God is personal. God really is personal. He isn't some distant, removed, cosmic energy that just animates all things in his creation and now he's cold and away from his creation. No, no, that's, that's not God at all. God desires fellowship with us. We see this even earlier in 1 John in verses three, two and three, you can have fellowship with him. God invites us in, invites you in. Christianity, hear me. Christianity isn't just about believing the right things about God and then doing things God's way. It's, it's more than that. It's sweeter than that. It's, it's more dimensional than that. Christianity is personal. It is relational because God is. That's amazing. The eternal God, the Holy One, wants that fellowship with us. John wants all of us to see that and know that, but why? Why start with all of this teaching about God, that God is light, there's no darkness in him, we can have fellowship with him. Why have all these truths about God right at the beginning? Because, because if we don't think rightly about God, we will not think rightly about ourselves. Reformer John Calvin, he, he put it this way, the very beginning of his work, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, he writes, without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. And without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. That is really profound. Simply, what he's saying is, if you wanna get real with God, you must get real with yourself too. And if you want to get to the real you, if you wanna find out the truest you, if you wanna find out who you really are, why you exist, what is the point of your life, then you must get to know the real God. Then you must get real with God. You must know God, that he is light, that he is love, and that's what this whole book will teach us. We're gonna see more of that about God in this section about who he is. But now John's gonna adjust a little, kind of like, like Calvin does in this quote, to know about God and to know ourselves. We need to know our claims and we need to know our aims. To know our claims and know our aims, we must know ourselves. And, and the apostle John does this now in, in verse six. Look at what he says. Verse six, if we say... We have fellowship with him. And you're gonna see if three if we say statements here in the passage. The first one is in six. The second one is in eight. And there's another one in verse 10. It's not here on the screen. Trust me, it's there. You can see it. You'll see it. Three of these if we say statements. He wants us to examine the, the claims that we make in our lives. Now, these are probably claims that these false teachers are making. The, the church can tell they're teaching different things than John is teaching, but that these false teachers are saying, well, we have fellowship with God too. We, we, we have fellowship with God too. 
But these guys, they don't live like it. They are walking in darkness. You see John's point? If we say, verse six, we have fellowship with him, but look, and yet we walk in darkness. We're lying and not practicing the truth. You can see these connections of walking and practicing. These are connected. So here's John's point. They may say they have fellowship with God, but they are walking in sin. They don't repent of sin. They don't change. They don't have a desire to sin. They prefer to walk in darkness. John says they don't fellowship with the light because if you have fellowship with the light, who is God, then you will not walk anti-God. Then you will not want to live anti-God. You want to walk in the light with God, you see? John is saying, look, anyone can say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. That is easy to say. But the proof is in the fruit. Anyone can say they're a Christian. But John's point is, do they live it? Do they live it? Listen, if you walk in darkness... And this is not just a, uh, I sinned, um, I, I had a moment of anger, I, I, I had an outburst, I, 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 I lied. Um, I, like not, that, not those kinds of sins. We're, we're talking about a walking in darkness, a perpetual, um, unswerving life of sin. No desire to grow in holiness, no conviction, no awareness. Oh man, I, I, I walked off the path, I, I got into the darkness, um, no desire to walk the way of Jesus. And that person says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. John says, they're lying. They're not practicing the truth. Do you see that? Think about practicing. The truths of God, practicing the truth, the the truths of God, the ways of Christ, the, the scriptures, they are not just to be believed but to be truly believed means they're going to be lived. Guys, the, the truth of God isn't merely meant to inform us, but to transform us. <laughs> Information about the Bible is easy to get. Anybody can get it. Transformation, not just information, transformation is a work of God a work of light, a work of Christ, a work of the spirit, a work of being born again. As Jesus said, as John wrote in his gospel, the gospel of John, in John chapter eight, Jesus says, I am the light. I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me, anyone who is a Christian, anyone who says they follow me, what? Will never walk in the darkness, will not live in sin, will not say, oh, I don't care about following Jesus. I don't care about having an unswerving life headlong into unchanging sin. They will never walk in that kind of darkness. Why? Because they have, they will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus changes us out of darkness and into light with him. See, fellowship with God is formative. 
Fellowship with God is formative. It's an experience. So let me give you a quick example. Here's the difference between uh, information and transformation of experience with God. Let me show you. This is Expedition Everest, a ride at Disney World. I could tell you about the turns. I could tell you about the first drop. I could tell you about the clicks going up. Um, I could tell you where the camera's gonna be at so you can take a good picture uh, when, it, when it flies by. I could tell you the ups and downs and all of that. I could give you information about Expedition Everest. Or you could feel the wind in your face yourself. Or you could hear the rattle of the cart and you could hear the scream of the Yeti at the top of the ride. And you, or you could feel the G's pulled on your body in those turns. And then, and you could have the smile on your face as you get off the ride. That's transformation, not just raw information. That's experience. See, one is explanation, one is experience. And far too many people live at the explanation level of Christianity when God invites everyone listening into the experience level, into new life, into the light, into new life with Jesus Christ, to walk in the light. As he says in verse seven, look at verse seven. If we are walking in, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we're walking with Jesus, and I love the, the word walk, if we're walking with Jesus, it's a great picture of the Christian life. It's an action, it's active. It's not just a one-time experience, a one-time, uh, yeah, I want Jesus to save me and then nothing after that. Yeah, it'd be like saying, oh, I signed up to run the Boston Marathon. And I, if I don't run it, if I don't go, I don't show up, I don't run it or walk it, did I? No, it's active. Same thing is, is true about the Christian life. It is a walk, it is a walking with Jesus one step after another, one day after another in the light of Christ. And, and notice this, if we walk in, in the light, you gotta be in it. We don't just use the light. We aren't just around the light. We are in it, immersed in light, covered in light. Because there are some ways that, that people in, in the Houston area, some way that people try to, maybe even people that profess to be Christians, who try to use the light, but not be in the light. There's a difference. You can use your phone light in your backyard in the middle of the night. It's shining, it's shining out, it's, it's illuminating other things, but what is it not illuminating? It's not illuminating you, not you, just pointing out. That's how some people try and live, avoiding the light, but they wanna see it in others, clearly projecting onto others, pointing things out in others, so compare that phone light shining out, not illuminating you, to now being in your backyard at 11 a.m. 
11 p.m., you're in your backyard shining your light. It's, bare, it's just barely going out, not illuminating you. But now at 11 a.m., you in your backyard, sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. Now everything is illuminated and you are in the light. Full brightness. You're illuminated. You are in the light. You are seen. You are clarified. You are known. You are loved. That's what John wants for us to be in, in the light. Because who else is there? God is there. Jesus is there in the light with us. And look at what the result is of us being in, in the light. Look, look at it. Here's the first one. We have fellowship with one another, with other Christians. If we're truly walking in the light, we'll experience the Christian life with other Christians, sharing and caring for one another. Community with, with each other, being known, being real with fellow Christians who are in the light, who don't have to fear anything, who don't have to be suspicious of each other because we're both in the light together. Walking in the light means being real. No hiding, no covering. It's like being outside on a sunny day at 11 a.m. without a cloud in the sky. So listen, just plain, real talk. There is no authentic Christianity that's just, just me and Jesus, just me and Jesus. That, that is not that does not exist in the New Testament. Other Christians are an essential part of the Christian life. Essential, non-negotiable, non-ignorable. It's inseparable in the Apostle John's mind. He knows that to truly walk with Jesus means you're gonna walk with other Christians, other disciples. And he knows this firsthand. Think about it. He spent three years walking with Jesus all throughout Israel. And it wasn't just him and Jesus walking along. Who else was there? Simon, James, Thomas, Mary Magdalene, Matthew. To walk with Jesus is to also be in fellowship and community and relationship with other Christians. Let's not get this confused. Yes, the Christian life is personal, but that doesn't mean the Christian life is private. Personal and private are different things. Are you walking in the light? Are you hiding sin from others? Are you hiding the real you from other people? Are you hiding from other Christians? And look, I, we all know we have to social distance. But that doesn't mean fellowship ends. That doesn't mean phones don't work. That doesn't mean texts don't work. That doesn't mean we have to face mask our souls and hide our hearts. And listen, I know why sometimes we don't want to walk in the light, why we don't want to fellowship with other Christians, why we don't want to be honest, why we don't want to be real, because we have sin that we're really embarrassed by. Well, what does John say to do? And what does John say is also true of those who walk in the light with Jesus? We have fellowship with one another, but what is also true? Look, he says, if, if that was number one, we have fellowship with one another. Number two, and the blood of Jesus, his son, what? Cleanses us 
from all sin. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. That sin we're embarrassed by, that uh, we feel like it's making us recoil from other Christians. John steps in and says, no, no. You've been cleansed from that sin. All of your sin, Jesus says, I'll clean it. And we all know a lot about cleaning products right now, don't we? Well, Jesus is the true and better Purell of our souls. He is the Clorox of our accounts before God. He cleanses us from all sin. And think about all in two ways, as both a, a quality of sin and a quantity of sin. Quality and quantity of sin. Let's think about the quality. We, we all have sin in our lives. Even if you don't use that word, if you're not a Christian, you know you have done things you're not thrilled about. We all have sin in our lives. Smaller ones, um, lighter ones, ones that we're easy, we're, we're e it's easy to forget them. But then we have some heavy ones. We have some sins in our life that really make us sick to our stomach that we've, that we've committed. That as soon as we think of them, we really do feel like we want to throw up. Sins that we've committed that we think, I can't believe, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I went there. I can't believe I went through with that. I can't believe I did this thing and it almost ruined my life. Those kinds of sins, Jesus says, I can clean that one too. That one that you're most embarrassed by, that one that you don't want to talk about, that you don't want to bring up ever again, Jesus says, bring it to me, I'll clean it, gone, done. In fact, it's those sins that we think Jesus, that Jesus is repulsed by those heavy sins. That's just wrong. Jesus is actually drawn to them. He's drawn to them. He's like a doctor who is about to remove a tumor. That doctor isn't repulsed by the tumor. He's ready. It makes him that doctor, it thrills him to be able to use his skills and to remove that tumor. He gets up in the morning to remove that tumor. And so is our Lord. When we bring our wretchedness to him, he doesn't hold his nose and look down at us. He hugs us and says, I will clean you. I'm really good at it. I'll restore you. That's what I came for. All of our sins, those, those sins we don't want to think about, that, that kind of quality, but also the quantity, the quantity of sins, the whole load, all of it. We cannot exhaust Jesus' ability to cleanse us from our sins. So you might think, I, I, I've sinned too much and you would be dead wrong, friend. And, and you might think, oh, I've sinned too big. And you would be wrong again. Jesus Christ, with his, with his blood poured out on the cross, is able to remove those sins from your life and to teach you how to walk and live with him, how to walk in the light with him. 
but you've got to be real with yourself. That's why you've got to be real with yourself. Verse eight, that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have to get real with ourselves. Paul, I'm sorry, John is probably talking to false teachers that, that are the teachers that are plaguing these churches. These teachers might be saying, we have no sin. We're actually not, not that bad of people. We're, we're good people. We're pure people. And John says, get real. Get, get real. We've, we all have sin. That kind of thinking, that, that kind of posturing that, oh, I'm not that bad a person, John says, you're deceived. And you clearly don't know the truth that Jesus came to save sinners. So hear me, if you want salvation, if you want fellowship with God, if you want Jesus, you must be a sinner. You must be a sinner. Those are the only people he came for. See, sometimes people think Christianity is anti-sinners. Christianity is for sinners. Christ is for sinners like you and like me. But what you gotta do is you gotta lose the charade. You have to lose the game of self-preservation and you have to give up on the game of reputation and confess to Jesus, I'm a sinner. Here are my sins. Jesus, save me. That's where John takes us next in verse nine that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to confess. We gotta admit them. This confession is admitting to God, right to God, directly to God. I have done this and I hate it. I'm sorry, forgive me, save me. God can do that today. You can be forgiven today. You can be cleansed today. And God will do it by the blood of his son. As we saw earlier, you can be forgiven, cleansed, renewed, made new. And, and for us that are already Christians, this is true, true for us too. We still confess when, when we sin. I sinned, Lord. Um, I did that. I, I, I didn't want to do that. Forgive me. And he does. We can have a, a felt forgiveness. See, confession isn't, it isn't just informing God that we sinned. He knows that we've sinned. But what confession is doing, it's surrendering our actions, our hearts. It's surrendering our lives to God for felt forgiveness, for, for transformation. And look, you can trust God with this because look at what John says um, about God. He says that he is faithful and righteous. He's faithful. That, that word here means reliable. You can count on God. And I'll never, I'll never forget this story. Natalie's grandmother, my wife's grandmother, um, who we called Nan um, a few years ago before she died, she revealed to us who her emergency contact was in her phone and in her medical documents and all that, all that stuff. It was not her husband. It was not her son. It was not her daughter. It was her son-in-law. 
her daughter's husband, Juan, was her emergency contact. And <laughs> why? Why him? Why not her husband? Why not her daughter, her son? Why her son-in-law? Because he always answers the phone. Always. That's it. And when she told us this at dinner, I'm dying laughing. We're all laughing. Like, why Juan? Why'd you pick him? And she tells us, y'all don't answer your phones. I call, you don't pick up. Y'all are not reliable. So why would I make you my emergency contact? I'm having an emergency. I need someone who's reliable. Juan always answers his phone. And you know why he always answers his phone? He has to. He's a doctor. His phone is always with him. And he always answers because he's reliable. God is reliable. You come to him and confess your sins. You come to him and you get, you get real with God. He will not turn you away. He won't ignore you. He won't say, ah, that's, that's too much. Um, I, 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 can't, I can't deal with that one. That, that's too much. No, you can trust God to forgive you because he's righteous, holy, just, good. And he will cleanse you. He will take those sins off of your shoulders and say, my son died for that. And remember this, John says, if you can know all this, then remember this too. My little children, John says, I am writing you these things, this, this whole book, so that you may not sin. That's pretty straightforward from John. He writes as an older man, a Christian who has seen a lot, and he tells us, point blank, don't sin. It's beneath you as a child of God. You're a, you're a walker of light. Don't, don't stoop down to walk in the darkness. I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. Beloved, I, I think an overlooked but simple spiritual aim for Christians. Don't sin. That's not legalistic. That's not unloving to hear. That is simple, straightforward aim of Christians. That I'm writing this so you may not sin. Don't sin. I don't want to sin. And when temptation comes up, we should think, I don't want to sin. Knowing God and walking with Jesus, this really sets the trajectory for your life. Not just eternity, but your ordinary, your daily stuff, your day, your social media, your reactions, your free time, your entertainment, fellowship with God, as John is telling us, it gets down into the ordinariness of life. His light shines there. I mean, I'll tell you, just the other day, I mean, just this past week, we were playing basketball in the driveway and Ivy was about to pass me the ball, but I looked the other way. She was over there and I looked the other way to catch Oliver's ball that was rolling out into the grass and I went to go get it. And like right when I looked away, she passed the ball and she passed it hard. And that ball drilled me in the temple and it was, a, it's a, it was a, it's an outdoor basketball. It's really rough, so it's really scratchy on the outside. That ball hit me so hard. And both of my kids went, oh, what do you think happened in my heart and mind right then? 
a lot of things were happening in me. But I'm glad the Holy Spirit brought this verse to mind in my paraphrase as don't sin. Don't sin, Jeff. It's accident. Don't sin. And I was about to, I didn't. But I was about about to. Beloved, John is telling us this, this can't be overlooked, that to be a Christian is to try and actively, passionately, purposefully not sin. That we're actively walking in the light, actively walking in fellowship with God, with his light shining down into the ordinariness of our lives. And as we're fellowshipping with, with other Christians. But what happens when Christians do sin? And we still do. Of course, of course we struggle. It doesn't mean we're living in darkness. Living in darkness is going full speed with no intention of getting off sin's highway. But what about when we stumble, when we, we get a little swervy? John closes with what we need to know about Jesus. He's talked about what we need to know about our God, what we need to know about ourselves with the things we say and claim and how we live. And now he closes with what he wants us to know about our Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, of God, the Son. What does he want us to know about him? Look at what he says. So my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin. So, so of course, Christians, we don't want to sin. But if we do sin, what happens? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have. So if anyone does sin, what? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We've got someone who defends us, who pleads our case, who stands out for us, that when we sin, you aren't left out to dry. That when you sin, you, you aren't kicked out to the curb because Jesus is our advocate. This is his present ministry for every child of God, for every brother and sister, for every Christian. This is what Jesus is doing for you right now in heaven. He is alive in heaven advocating for you when you blow it, when you sin. Jesus says, they're with me. Yes, they sinned. And I've, I've died for that one. And look at who can have this. Who can have Jesus be their advocate? Who? Anyone. Anyone. Jesus can take up your case. Any sinner can have him on their side. You must only turn and go to him and trust him. Christians, he is alive in heaven for us that when you sin, he will be there alive in heaven as the evidence that you have eternal life. But his sheer living in heaven is a living sermon and testimony to all of the heavenly hosts. I paid for their sin and I'm alive because they're forgiven. And I'm alive because my father has pulled me up out of the ground. I paid for that sin and I paid for that one they're gonna commit tomorrow. He pleads your case off, not off of our merit, not off of our accounts, but his, look, because he, Jesus Christ, he's the righteous one. 
It's not us. It's him pleading his case. I, it's like Jesus is saying, I vouch for Jeff Metters on my account. He's with me. And he's with you if you trust him. See, beloved, when, when we sin, we're prone to get down on ourselves, tempted to give up, tempted to throw in the towel. We feel like, we feel like failures. Jesus says to us from this verse, I'll defend you. I'll stand up for you. And he's saying, my righteousness is the case. My death and resurrection for you is the evidence that you are saved because I'm the righteous one. And that's why now we need, why we so need verse two, that he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He paid for our sins in full when they were nailed to, when he was nailed to the cross. That sin that we confess, we heard about earlier in verse nine, Jesus is now, we're hearing from John, paid for. And John says, you need to believe it. That when you do sin, remember, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for those sins. Sometimes this sounds, okay, great. This is a great theology for right now. But what about when your world is in meltdown because of your sin? What about when divorce papers are rustling on the table? What about when your addiction? What about when these sins are rearing their heads and alarms and sirens and your life is almost in meltdown? This is when you need to know that these verses, this is not a fairy tale, but this is reality. This is, this is what Jesus offers us, us sinners, a sacrifice for our sins, a forgiveness from our sins, our sins being paid for. And that he himself, I love that John says that, he himself, he did this. He did not delegate this out to an angel, but the son of God himself died for our sins on the cross. The, the death that we should have had, the judgment of God that we should have had, that judgment of God was diverted from us unto him. He removed our guilt when he died for us. He redirected the, the charges and put them on himself as he was crucified. And he did this for the whole world, meaning every race, every tribe, not just Israelites, not just Gentiles, not just people who grew up in the church, not just people who have Christian parents and not just people who haven't sinned in this way or that way, but anyone, anyone can have Jesus be their advocate. Anyone in the whole world. Jesus is the savior of every kind of sinners. Every kind of sinner can come to Christ. See, back in this church, these people who grew up in Greco-Roman culture, they knew that the gods and deities, they had kind of locations. Uh, you had a God who was kind of worshiped in this area and a God who was worshiped in this area. Um, you, you had Artemis of the Ephesians, a big temple there. She was kind of the, the goddess of that area where now John steps in and says, here's what we need to remember about Jesus. He is not just some tribal geographic God. He is a savior of the whole world. 
He can save people in Argentina. He can save people in Iraq. He can save people in North Houston. He can save people in Cyprus. He can save people like you and like me because he is the defender of the guilty, the redeemer of the wayward heart, a savior of sinners. Is that what you believe about Jesus? Is that what you live in your everyday life now? Come and walk in the light. Confess your sins and you will be forgiven by Jesus. He is the light of the world. You are safe. You are safe in Jesus. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us now. We, we need your mercy. We, we need, we really need to be real with ourselves. That, that you are, you are the light. Oh, and we don't need to hide from you. That you are the Lord. And that you are, you are the savior of sinners. So Lord, I, I, I don't doubt that there are people watching who, who think I'm not a, I'm not a sinner. I, I don't really think I've done anything bad. I try to be a good person. Lord, would you help them to not be deceived, to not lie to themselves? That they would see that they need salvation and they can have forgiveness from your son. And King Jesus, would you help those of us who have admitted we're sinners? <laughs> we've, we've failed, we've, we've blown it. Would you remind us again of your great mercy and of your great grace that if we confess our sins, you are reliable, you are faithful and you are righteous to not only forgive us, but you do, but also to cleanse us. You'll transform us. You'll make us new. So Lord, don't, don't let this morning just be information. We've, many of us have heard way more sermons, done way more Bible studies, read way more of the Bible than most people in church history. So don't let this Sunday just be more information. Would you bring us formation, transformation into the image of your son? Help us now, King Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray, Lord. Amen.